Happy New Year, everybody. Happy 2023 proper space age stuff. I hope you all had a lovely break with family, friends, loved ones. I hope you had plenty of smiles and lots of laughter and probably a fair bit of chocolate as well. We are back with the podcast. We're going to finish off series five at the start of this year. Tonight's episode and then another episode next week and that'll round off series five which will put we're at 50 plus episodes near 60 episodes that we've got out there now. So without further ado welcome back everybody let's start this week's episode. James run the theme tune son. Welcome everybody to the Voices from the North East podcast. Morning podcasters. I was born in North Seaton Colliery. When I, when I were a lad, I should have remembered that because my mother used to work for them. I'm champion for me, absolutely fine. And who doesn't make the selection box for breakfast? Yeah, that was Christmas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She went flying over Maypole into Bustelic. On tonight's episode, well, for starters, you've just got me. Um, it's extremely busy at the moment, back at work and uh, into the swing of things and trying to rebuild your routine a bit after a holiday. Um, so in order for me to record tonight's episode, Justine is currently entertaining James. So you've got me tonight, but you'll have both of us back next week. Tonight's episode, we are going to be talking about Northern poets. Northern poets, particularly from industrial backgrounds. Now, this episode has come our way thanks to Joe March at Northumberland Archives, who we've done work with in the past. And Joe passed our podcast and uh, our name on to someone uh, called Kirsty Blair, pardon me, who was running a project through Strathclyde University, or the University of Strathclyde. Um, well, I'm, g- I'm going to let her explain because I had a chat with her on the phone. It's really interesting, a really fascinating bit of historical research into, I guess, pretty much forgotten poets of the Northeast. Here, I'll let her explain. Thinking about communities like the miners in the Northeast in particular, hmm. there's been a lot of studies of their social life, there's been studies of um, some of the institutes and schools in the Northeast. There's been investigations of sporting life. Um, yes. I've even seen commentary on things like, you know, competitive gardening and <laughs> pigeon fancying and so forth. Yeah, yeah. But there's actually not all that much been said about all their literary societies and their debating clubs and their mutual improvement groups that were focused on reading poems and stories and performance of literature and singing. Right. So what we do in this project all across Scotland and the north is we're going to local archives like Northumberland Archives was absolutely amazing here. Um, And we're looking for materials that haven't really been investigated before that will show us how workers themselves might have written about their lives. So in Northumberland Archives, they have these two massive scrapbooks um, by a man called John Hume who seems to have been a surface worker in the mines. And he was a poet as well, but best for our purposes, he went through all the local newspapers and he cut out all the poems by his friends who were also miners in the area and he stuck them all into his scrapbook because this is what you did because you couldn't afford to buy, you know, your own poetry collection. So if you loved literature, you just got hold of the local papers 
and the Newcastle papers and especially the Blythe Weekly News and the Morpeth Herald, mm -hmm. they all had a poetry column and those poetry columns were stacked with local miners producing poems. It was through John Hume's scrapbooks, um, just flicking through them, that I really got a sense of how much more had been going on um, in the Northumberland region in particular than I knew about as a literary scholar who's been studying, you know, Victorian poetry for over 20 years now. All these poems and writers were there um, that I hadn't heard of and that nobody in academia um, is really aware existed. So that was a starting point for the research in this area, because mm -hmm. if you've got somebody's name or the title of a poem, then you can start searching the online newspaper archives. You can skim through poetry columns. You can look at the big library catalogues and see if the British Library or somewhere has got a copy of any books they might have written. But in many cases, it's hard to find these people because they didn't write a book. They only published yeah. in the newspapers or they wrote poems for performance. They wrote lyrics and those were sold on, you know, cheap penny broadsides in every town um, mm -hmm. to be sung or to be read out loud. So is so, the um so so what time period are we talking about for his for his particular scrapbook just say it contains material from at least the 1880s. Wow, gosh. Up to about 1910. Mm. Um so the period I look at is really 1840 to around the First World War. Yeah. Because that's when this culture of sort of self-improvement and educating yourself via reading and then demonstrating how educated you were by writing poems, mm. often poems about your working life. Um, that was such a huge part of popular late Victorian culture. And it was especially important in the Northeast, actually, in relation to trades unionism and other kinds of activism. So the sense that in order to be a good trades union leader, you also needed to be able to produce a working poem right. or a strike song that someone could sing. Yes. Um, I love that because it's about the way that creativity and, and culture really fed into yeah. politics and weren't seen as a separate activity. Yeah. Wow. That is fascinating, actually. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'd never... And if you were a bright young man and you're down the mines and this is, you know, hard, tough work, mm. being literary, in inverted commas, is mm. also... It's a workplace skill because if you write a lively poem that's not too critical about your work, the person that's reading that in the newspaper is the mine owner and the foreman. Mm. So a lot of writers used poetry specifically as a way to actually get themselves into clerical work because right. they were demonstrating that they could write as opposed to, you know, hard manual labor yes. for their career. Wow. But for other people, this was just an activity that you shared with your friends. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, in in and around Waterloo, Blythe, um, there was a well-known poet, Matthew Tate, and he gathered a circle, the Poets and Pipers Club, wow. and their newspaper reports they just met in a pub called the Willow Tree Inn, um, and then a later place, and they just all recited their poems, sang songs, the Pipers played, they had these really lively social evenings and burns nights and so forth. <laughs> Um, so it got you into that kind of culture. You met people, you made friends. It was a social thing to do. Every tiny village had, you know, some kind of reading room that would then often turn into a formal mechanics institute or be sponsored by the colliery and become a colliery institute. Everywhere had mutual improvement clubs, so 
of various kinds or some kind of group that was again often young men and late in the century more women just getting together for the purpose of reading and performance and debating and writing essays and of course a lot of this was sponsored by various forms of the temperance movement in the Victorian period because all of these clubs and societies and institutes and reading rooms were about getting you out of the house but not into the pub yes <laughs> but many you know there's a there's a really interesting discussion there um, I have a PhD student Iona Craig who's been looking at minors reading rooms and it's interesting because so many of them were founded by the miners themselves um, but then the collieries would come in and sponsor them and the miners thought that you know reading rooms and institutes, you would get in the radical literature and, you know, you would learn how to be a better speaker at a mass mm -hmm. meeting about the strike. But the owners thought that they would buy all these improving works of religious literature um, and the men would read them and then they wouldn't strike anymore because they'd be, you know, good, virtuous <laughs> Christian workers. Wow. So there are, there are very interesting different takes on what activities like reading will mean in a mining community mm. but it was everywhere yeah and there was one famous miner poet from the area joseph skipsey and he actually um through a series of connections got himself patronized and adopted by people like the pre-raphaelite poets and he went to london mm. but the interesting thing is that all the london patrons of skipsey and the newspaper reports on him outside the local area treat him as though he's unique you know mm. wow a mm -hmm. collier poet Yes. Um, how amazing. Um, I'm just looking in our database to see if I can give you an actual information on how many ports I've got just in Skipsy's area alone, because I think it's at least 30. And uh -huh. that's the tip of the iceberg. Uh -huh. Northeast England, I've got 92. Wow. 92 entries. Just looking at the map, for instance, I'm looking at the little circle for Blythe. And this is going to be open access from August. So anybody can oh, go wow, in, brilliant. click on their town. If, if they've got a great grandparent who's got a suitcase of poems under the bed, mm. <laughs> drop us a line and we'll put them in the database. So just Blythe, I've got one, two, three, four, five, eight poets, two from Cramlington. Ashington, one. I've got three. Wow, brilliant. Choppington Colliery. Yeah, chopping. Who was there? Um, because we tie people to their workplaces as well, so sometimes we have a couple oh, of people okay. in the same colliery. There's our only woman, Bedlington, Martha Colpitts. She was a miner's mm. wife. Um, but sadly, the only poem we found by her so far was a not very exciting piece of religious verse in the newspaper. <laughs> but it's so exciting to find a miner's wife writing poetry. But yes, that, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. We're thrilled to have her in there. the project which is absolutely fascinating really and 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 we spoke for a long time that that interview has been edited down for the sake of the podcast it was a really fascinating talk and the database that um kirsty mentions is online it's accessible without any accounts or anything you can just log on you can just go to it and search for the locations and see if there are any famous ports from where you live or you can search for somebody by their name and that is uh, the web address is pistonandpress.org pistonandpress.org i will put the link in the details for this episode for you 
I just thought so much of that conversation was fascinating, like talking about the self-improvement clubs, which brought to mind for me in, in, in the Ashton area, a place called the Priestman Institute. Uh, Priestman and Milburn were two of the guys behind the, the very first big mine and effectively the boom of this original town. And um, Priestman's legacy was the building of an institute, a working man's institute for folks to go along to and, and talk and engage with each other in these kinds of conversations and reading and writing and uh, and playing games as well. And um, I just thought it was interesting. It brought that straight into mind. The Priestman Institute, by the way, doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately, in Asherton. Um, it's a car park now. What does it say about paving paradise? Um, so our involvement in this project came from um, Kirsty getting in touch and trying to find some northern voices to read the poems and discuss the poems. Now, we were given a pack of the poems and... Um, I found them incredibly difficult to read, really, really difficult. They're written in the dialect they would be spoken in. So they're not written in, you know, the spellings basically are not written in English. They're written phonetically, the way they would have sounded. And it's a real indication of how far dialect has moved on in a hundred years because I massively struggled to read them. And I passed them on to my mum. Judith, her, who's who's been on the podcast many, many times, because my mum's got a, a real interest in this side of things herself, and so she was absolutely fascinated to have a read, and has tried to read a few of the poems for us. Now, I say I couldn't read the poems. I did manage to read one of them, and it was a wonderful poem by a poet called James Anderson from Blythe, just down the road from here. Now, James Anderson had... Um, well, a fascinating life. He was um, known as one of the Northumberland and Tyneside Pitman poets. Uh, he was born in Erzden, son of a miner, um, whose his father was um, killed in a, in a colliery incident. And he worked down the mines from a very young age himself. And he continued to work until, I believe it was asthma and bronchitis forced him to stop. He had a, a book published, a collection of poetry works. Um, in which he actually, um, it, I think it tells us that he was a Czech weirman. If you remember our interview with uh, Ralph, about his grandfather, who was also a Czech weirman. A nice connection there. If you haven't listened to that episode with Ralph, go back to it. It's a couple of episodes back. Um, and so uh, James Anderson wrote lots and lots of poems. And um, he, unfortunately, when he passed away, he pretty much died in poverty. To the point where I think they say there was a, a collection um, was made and people were asked to buy his book in order to help pay for funeral arrangements. Really, really tragic. Um, when he when he did um, die, um, I think his his book was was published again posthumously, and um, there was a, a an, an inscription put in the front of the book, and and an excerpt from it would read. The mining community of Northumberland ought to be proud of possessing such a noble soul as that of James Anderson. For be it said to his honour that no case of hardship or oppression of war ever passed without inspiring him to smite the oppressed, to ally the pain and to smooth the afflicted by the tenderness of his verse 
and the fire of his satire. That's a pretty fabulous thing to write about somebody. Um, he died in uh, Blythe and uh, Cope and Key uh, in 1899 at the age of 73. Now, his poem I was able to read, um, and it's strangely quite fitting for these times, so I'm going to play my reading of it for you now. Knew the great struggle has started, the struggler might again write, the masters of men they have parted, and both shown their teeth for a fight. What a burden of trouble this brings us, we've experienced such light in the past, we seem not to see till it stings us. I wonder how long it'll last. In a time of depression all round us, whole oceans of troubles increase. Their infernal reductions confound us. They'll not let us toil on in peace. There's rocks all around for destruction, and we're hemmed in between very fast. But it's hard for to suffer reduction. I wonder how long it'll last. Stand true each man to his station, be united and ready for call. The watchword then all run the nation. Divided, we surely will fall. Then miners must cherish kind feelings. To your winds, all your prejudice cast. In the struggle, let her knee false dealings. Oh, I wonder how long that'll last. Beware of the course you're pursuing. And never let rashness prevail. A mistake might take years undoing, and then all your efforts might fail. Adhere to the voices of your leaders, stick to your integrity fast. You may then gain pity of readers, I wonder how long that'll last. Abhor all outside interference, and manage your own sad affairs. There may be all written appearance, but often encumbered with snares. Let the great royalty rents be reduced, which may bring forth a furious blast. Let this be a mode of solution. I wonder how long it'll last. Still scarily relevant today, that poem, isn't it? You know, the the, the struggle for, um, I guess, respect and... and, and and pay, and um, and sensible working conditions. Never mind, we'll not get too political. I did say that that was the only poem out of all the poems I was given that I could actually translate, which meant my mum had to have a go at them and a, and a bit of a time to review them. So after mum had had a good read, we caught up on the phone, and I got mum to talk me through her thoughts, and we shared a, a bit of a discussion. So here's a chat about the rest of the poems. Well, I could read it. I mean, there was the, only the odd um, words that I wasn't sure what they meant. And basically, it's because I think they're Newcastle more than they're um, Northumbrian. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe a lot. A huge are, yeah. different. I mean, my mum's family were Altoonies, as my mother would call them. Mm. Um, they all came from along the time. So, like... I suppose there were my great aunts and uncles had a totally different accent to what, say, my mum had. It's just beautiful words that are no longer used, basically. Yeah. You know, that's, that's pure dialect. The difference in the dialects between the Northumbrian 
and the pitmatic and the toon. And just in the space of 20, 30 miles, you've got all those different dialects is what I find interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, like I looked at, at them and some of them were just impenetrable. I could not... Well, there's actually only one of the poems, and and then having now what you've said about the different dialects via area, kind of understand why the only one I can decipher is from Blythe. Right. So the yeah. one, the one James Anderson, um, the Northumberland miners' strike, eighteen seventy six. That was the only one I could actually decipher enough of to read it through and understand what it was about. And then right. having done a bit of research into him. I now know, like he was, he spent most of his life in Blythe, um. So I guess that's probably his accent and, and dialect, even though it's different, is closest to what I've grown up around. Yeah. Whereas the yeah. others are There's all even further more, Northumberland but... or yeah, Newcastle. That's right. Um, I was going to say even Morpeth to me has a different dialect. Yeah. At times yeah. different words. You know, um, oh, I'm trying to think what word. I remember somebody, a friend of mine, used to talk about our caps. Right. And it was, it was at yes. All right. You know. I wonder if anyone she, still uses that. She now. used to, she used to take the Mickey out of me because in Ashton is, you know, get a hind there instead of behind. Right. We use mm-hmm. the word ahind a lot. You know, and I think that they're all still really well used you know yeah yeah um so So which of the poems did you find you could decipher well enough then well i did um we may be low we may be poor um and i did three of them didn't i um yeah uh the miller of the d and that's the one about um that it's Basically, it's transcribed as the changes that take place of late, as we hear the old folks say, uh, makes me really glad that it wasn't my fate to be lads and back then sort of thing. They tell us of mm-hmm. children who went down the pits at six year old. Um, we may be glad to think that days that day has gone by, you know. Okay. So that's what that's all about. I had to read them a few times, yes, but I got it, you know. So that's it, sort of made into because even I read Call He Woes to Bad Walk, and I'm thinking, What? Then I realized it was Call Hewers to What Walk, right? 12 hours, and it's so transcribed, it means Call Hewers had to work 12 hours in a day. Right, right. I mean, the interesting thing about it is just to see how much, you know, because some of them are quite, you know, are really old. Most of them are 1800s. But Well, that's what I've said. This one was 1883. But it's quite um, interesting because it finishes with, um, and now a better day has dawned. Let us, with all our might, do what we can. Um, to cause each man with masters to unite and if a grievance should prevail let arbitrators try uh, <laughs> to make a, co- a call and settle all that strikes may be gone by interesting isn't it like how yeah. telling they are i mean they're all written by people who worked in industry you know, where, right. where you have the Pittman painters, you've effectively got the Pittman poets or the shipyard these, poets, and that's what these all come yeah. from. 
So well, no wonder a lot of them focus I'll... on industrial relations. Yeah, I would love to get a true Northumbrian to read with the burr because the real Northumbrians could crawl yeah. that ours, you know, where I can't really yeah, do yeah. it. Well, even even I was careful in my like I didn't want it to sound like I was doing an impression when I was reading mine, but I, I was I was trying yeah, to kind of I... like thicken my accent a bit, or you know, go back to how I spoke maybe when I was younger and didn't concentrate too much on how I pronounced things, you know. But uh... that's right, that's right. I think we've had um, many years. I mean, I had it drummed out of us at school that if you wanted to get on, you had to learn to talk the Queen's English. Yeah. And although I have got the sing-songy voice, there, there is as well, you know, a huge difference between a dialect and actually speaking roughly. Oh, yeah, well, just the difference between slang and dialect. That's is, right. That's, that's why I think these are hard to penetrate is because yeah. they've tried to write them in dialect, not slang, or, you know, in, it's written in dialect. And so... That's right. Yeah, but, um, and there's many different ways of spelling things as well. Well, that's they've true. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, fathers, yeah, father, they've spelled it F-A-Y-T-H-O-R-S. And I had to, like, look at that and think, what the heck's that? Fathos? Oh, they uh, have a great That was how there was in me feather. Me yeah. feather. Well, to, uh, to, I mean, to, to, to just learn the one, uh, James Anderson's one, the, the minor strike one, I had to type it yeah. out in how I would say it now. Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> l- learn it from that and then go back to the original and try and meet somewhere between the two just to get it. But I thought it was really interesting. And it's another... Another thing that we weren't, well, I was probably aware of somewhere in my mind, but not overly aware of, is just how many, you know, poets came out of industry. I mean, there's there's well, a lot there. Georgia. Mm-hmm. Become uh, forgotten about quickly. I was going to say, I've got all the Red Fred Reed, you know, local. Yeah. I've got all his poems yeah. here. You know, I've got the Northern Songbook, which is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Full of not, not just the normal... You know, keep your feet still, Geordie Hinney. There's all sorts about um, arguing two women fighting over washing the stairs outside the, the house. And um, there's another one about um, miners arguing, you know, on the scrapping on the corner of the streets, which used to happen quite a lot and things like that. And again, we could have talked for absolutely ages about these poems, but I didn't want to go on for too long because you haven't yet seen or heard those poems. Now, I'm going to play the recordings that my mum did of those poems. There's only one that I've shortened. It'll just fade out and fade into the next one. He has three poems by northern poets who are now long forgotten. See how much of the language you can appreciate as well as understand. Enjoy. It's called The Miller of the Dee. The changes that took place of late, as we hear the old folks say, makes us great glad was not war to be lads in their day. They tell us the bits of bairns were sent on pits to walk to try. It's six year old. We may be glad to think that day's gone by. They tell us tea, lads went to walk at two o'clock each morn. Quite late at night when it was dark, back home they would return. 
He had no time to read nor write, but it bade compelled to lie, to get the rest for them twas best. But now that day is gone by. Call Hewers to what walk twelve hours, I've heard my father say. He's quite unfit gone to the pit and slept upon the way. No wonder ignorance prevailed for masters wouldn't try to educate poor bits of lads. But no, that day is gone by. If men them masters went to see about what was their due, they very often turned off what be, with, which made them sure to rue. Or if of union they should speak, and men seemed to comply, the masters then would mark their men. But no, that day has gone by. Men often he's a hard day's route and livelihood to get, and for his work he's getting out, but sometimes being in debt. He's been to sea, grieved when he's gone yam. I bet he couldn't lie. To think for nought so hard he's wrought. But no, that day has gone by. As no a better day has dawned, let us with all our might do what we can to cause each man or masters to unite. And if a grievance should prevail, let arbitrators try to make a cowl and settle owl that strikes me be gone by. This was the snow, the snare storm on the railway from Fraser's Almanac and it was supposed to be a snowstorm I would say probably late 1800s maybe early 1900s anyway it was obviously a popular tune at the time because it's set to a grandfather's clock so here we go it's very very long and I'll probably just pick bits out Hey hold of the storm of the great big storm that blocked up the blithe and the dine and the snow wouldn't melt and the pints wouldn't turn and the train wouldn't run on the line and the snow come down till it smothered up the tune and the mist on us all wished it would drop but it snared snared that never snared a fall till the engine stopped and the snow without slumbering, knock, knock, knocked. The railway encumbering, block, block, blocked. And it snared, snared as it never snared a foe till the engine dropped, stopped. <laughs> it drifted and snared, and the wind it was cared, and the plate lay as fingers were numb. And the switches got fast and were blocked up at last, and the railway train wouldn't run. But the wind did roar, and the plate lay as swore, like a cat on the griddle laid hopped. And it snared, snared as it never snared before, till the engine stopped. It roared and it blustered the heel neat through when I'm starting that my stone of soul. 
If a train wouldn't stop for a cow or a bull And should come to the stand with the snare The snare was coming thick, the engine mended thick And at last, like a thief, they were copped For it snared, snared as it never snared before Till the engine stopped Alec Reed and his engine went new some by the train, but they stuck hard and fast with the snare. He tried to push her for it, and he tried to push her back, but the blout thing wouldn't gonna turn. So they just had to stand like a ship on the land and wait till the snowstorm stopped and it spread. Snared is it never snared before till the engine stopped. Charlie Smith and his gang was upon the upline, Jimmy Dixon and his men on the toon, and the North Country pitmen with a great big shells and half of the tradesmen of the toon. In 1871, by somebody called Matthew Dryden. Persevere. <laughs> Yen Monday night, I went out just to have a work when I met a chap for Sunderland and we gone on to tack. He says, we're walking clever now and likely for to thrive. We've got the nine hours movement to now and we'd drop or walk at five. Persevere, persevere, all the ice sitting there. Persevere, persevere, they're getting on the weir. Ye men upon the banks of Tyne, I think there was little fear. But you'll get the nine hours movement if you only persevere. Says all, me man, I think you read before that I can read. I can read. But mind, you made a gallant fight before you did succeed. So tell your mates in Sunderland when you gan our yam that war lads about Newcastle gone to do the same. He says you're talking like a man, but I really think it's time. If the movement pays upon the weir, it'll pay upon the town. Your walking men have been lang famed. I hope they'll keep their name. They helped us our at Sunderland, so we'll help them back again. Persevere, persevere, all ye that's sitting here. Persevere, persevere, they're getting on the weir. Ye men upon the banks of Tyne, oh, they'll think there's little fear. But you'll get the nine hours movement if you only persevere. No strikes are what I divin like. But if they'll not agree, we hey to be like Sunderland and close war factories do. The maesters then will start to fret and own it till they rang, till they were rang. It's then they'll say they cannot do without the walking men. So what do you think of all that then? I, I hope you've enjoyed the poems tonight i hope you've you've been able to understand a good amount of them um the language is just so different it really does require a bit of listening to doesn't it to some of those poems so feel free to go back 
and listen to them again. And I, yeah, it's just it was really interesting. I hope we have have explained the project. I hope we've um, made it interesting to you because we have certainly found it really interesting to be involved even in just a little bit of this project. For more information about uh, the project and to hear the poems, read more poems and search for poets from your area, just check out pistonpenandpress.org. That's pistonpenandpress.org. I think I read that out wrong at the beginning. <laughs> I want to say a big thank you to Joe March and uh, Christy Blair for, for getting us involved in this and for just talking with us about this really interesting project and making us aware of these lost poets so that we could share them with you and hopefully you can go and find them and have a read of some of this wonderful poetry yourself and be enriched by the experience. do go tonight i want to say a massive massive thank you to you the listeners just before christmas uh, or just before the new year actually i got sent something called um spotify wrapped now we are on lots and lots of platforms for you to listen to but one of the platforms we're on is spotify and in this little thing they sent me it told me that we were in the top 20 percent most followed spotify podcasts in our little category that we're in that is fantastic and that is down to you the listener thank you very much it's really rewarding these podcasts are are, are a hobby they're me and they're justine and uh mom dad neil elna jacqueline and all the other voices that we have on sharing the history and and the society of the northeast of england with you so it's just lovely that so many people listen and continue to share the podcast Thank you for sharing it with friends and family and recommending it to other people. Really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And like Columbo always says, one last thing. I want to make you aware of all the different places you can find our podcast now. As of 2023... We are now available on Amazon Music. You can ask your Alexa to play our podcast. We are available through Audible, so you can listen to us on your Kindles. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, we're in Spotify, and we're online via Anchor FM. You can also find episodes on our Facebook page, and that's a really good place to just generally go and find and give it a like so that you can keep up to date with episodes that come out and other bits of news. If you would like to send us an email, if you want to give us an idea for a show, or if you just want to send us really lovely comments and say nice things about (laughs) you listening to our show, feel free, that'd be great. You can email us anytime via podcastnortheast at gmail.com. That's podcastnortheast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of those things. And we will be back again to talk to you very, very soon. 
We've got one more episode to see out Series 5, and it will be out very soon indeed. Until then, stay safe and stay well, everybody. Thank you for listening.